One of the lessons I've learned in martial arts is that standing still is asking to be hit. If you stand still in business, your competition is going to catch up. I start each morning practicing martial arts because it brings me balance and focus. And I want to know how others stay motivated as well. So join me for conversations on business, innovation, and entrepreneurship. I'm Dan Schulman. Welcome to Never Stand Still. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan Schulman, President and CEO of PayPal, and welcome to another episode of Never Stand Still. So today, I'm really happy to have Gail McGovern uh, with me. I've known Gail forever. Um, I'll give you a quick, brief background on Gail. So like me, you were born in New Jersey. We already knew we were going to like each other because of that. Then she got her BA from Johns Hopkins um, in mathematics, quantitative sciences, her MBA from Columbia. And then she went to join AT&T as a programmer. And that was way before programming was cool. Um, and everybody started doing it. And she rose through the ranks at AT&T uh, to become president of the consumer division that had something like 40,000 people in it, uh, $26 billion uh, P&L. Um, and through a lot of her time there was my mentor and my boss uh, while she was at uh, AT&T and gave me an incredible amount of advice and uh, became you know, one of my closest friends. And then Gail left to join Fidelity Investments where she was the president of distribution and services. She had over 4 million customers there, managed over 500 billion of assets, and then went to Harvard um, that I got rejected at um, <laughs> twice, both undergraduate and graduate, um, and uh, was a member of the faculty there teaching marketing. Um, and then in 2008, became the president of the American uh, Red Cross. And, that was an interesting time, too, because the Red Cross had been beset by a number of CEO changes. I think there might have been six CEOs in the previous seven years. Eight in five years. Eight in five years. Wow. That's unbelievable, <laughs> actually. Um, and she came into that. The Red Cross was facing uh, something like a $200 million deficit, significant debt. Um, and Gail has... You know, went into that. I remember uh, the recruiter calling me for um, a recommendation on you, and I said to them uh, that they would be lucky uh, to get you. And um, and thank goodness that the Red Cross uh, um, has someone like you uh, at its helm. Um, Gail also was named by Fortune as one of the top 50 most powerful women on that list twice. Um, and as I mentioned, has been... Uh, a tremendous friend and mentor to me all these times and is now on the PayPal board and has become my boss again. Um, so, uh, Gail, welcome. It's so great to have it's you. It's wonderful yeah. to be with you, Dan. Um, so let's start off um, with kind of the topic that is um, relevant right this moment. We're just coming out of the, uh, really the aftermath of Hurricane uh, Florence. And can you start by maybe telling all of our viewers what the Red Cross has been doing there and what 
ways that they might be able to get involved? So right now we are all about sheltering, feeding, and providing comfort. And at one point there were 20,000 people in shelters across this area. Geographically, this hurricane is three times the size of Hurricane Harvey. It just caused so much flooding. And it was moving about three miles an hour. So it just kept raining and raining. Yeah. So it right, like some areas got more than 40 inches of rain. That it was, was record setting yeah. for both of the Carolinas. Yeah. And it's not over yet because a lot of these rivers are cresting yeah. and causing additional flooding. But right now the Red Cross is still in shelters helping people who have basically lost everything. Mm -hmm. And we're not only sheltering them, but we're feeding them. And we're doing mental health counseling. We have a group of volunteer nurses, group of mental health counselors that work with these families to help them get back on their feet. And as they're going back to their homes, they're finding some of their homes in very severe damages. So we're giving out things like pails and mops and you know, bleach, things they can use to muck out their homes. And we have emergency response vehicles. We're fanning out all around the communities, giving people hot meals while they deal with the damage in their homes. It's really heartbreaking. Uh, I mean, it must be. But you go through this all the time. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. How can our viewers help right now? So, first of all, we always can use volunteers. And Mm -hmm. our volunteers are amazing. Um, We have 50,000 volunteers who are prepared to respond to a disaster. They leave their families. They leave their friends. They Mm -hmm. work three weeks, seven days a week, 12-hour shifts. Clearly not for everyone, but nevertheless, these are humanitarians, and they see a need, and they just have to jump in. But if you want to volunteer for the Red Cross, you can do it for a day. We respond to 64,000 disasters every year. Wow. That's one every eight minutes. Wow. So we're here in Manhattan. Yeah. Between now and 24 hours from now, there'll probably be eight to ten home fires. Mm. And, you know, they're caused by cooking accidents. can happen to anyone. Yeah. And for each one, we dispatch a volunteer to give hugs, to get people in hotels, to make sure they're safe. I didn't realize that. Yeah, Yeah, most people don't. They think of us for large disasters. And if you don't have time, you can donate blood. Mm -hmm. That's a a quick thing to do. It's life-saving. We provide 40% of the nation's blood supply. And if you can't give time or blood, we always can use financial assistance. And any gift, regardless of its size, is really deeply appreciated. Yeah, that's great. And and for all of our viewers, there's a donate button that you can see on your screen. And uh, that's a great way of helping um, all of the people and communities that have been so affected by these disasters and helping the Red Cross. And thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, oh, of course. We will take good care of those donations and make sure they help people in need. That's great. And you mentioned, Gail, which I hadn't realized that you know, every eight minutes or so, there's some disaster striking. Last year, there seemed to be so <sighs> many hurricanes and fires and, di- and different events, shootings, different things that happened that the Red Cross um, responded to. Can you maybe uh, tell our viewers the depth of different services that you offer? Sure. Um, you know, we talked about disasters. Yep. They were all about sheltering, feeding, providing comfort. 
We provide financial assistance. We'll convene all the other relief agencies to make sure that if there's a need that we can't meet, that others can fill mm -hmm. in that gap. Um, so that's one set of services. We train people in first aid, CPR, swimming, babysitting, lifeguarding. Um, and it's important for people to get trained because 27% of us are going to happen upon someone yeah. who is in cardiac arrest or some kind of distress. It's an amazing statistic. Wow. It's incredible. Wow. Yeah. And you just don't want to be a helpless bystander. So yeah. we do a lot of training. We do a lot for the military, most people don't know. And it's another way people can get involved. Mm -hmm. We have volunteers in every single VA hospital on every military base, not just in the U.S., but all around the world, including in theater. Mm -hmm. We had volunteers in Iraq, in Afghanistan, um, people that just want to help the men and women that serve in the armed forces. And we handle about 400,000 calls a year mm -hmm. from concerned family members, people that need to get their son or daughter or husband and wife home, uh, maybe for the birth of a child, somebody on their deathbed. Yeah. We process those um, you know, day in and day out, 24 seven. Hmm. So there are lots of services that we provide and lots of ways people can get involved. And, you know, we supply about 3,000 hospitals, life-saving blood. And um, that's 15,000 donors a day show up and donate blood. That's so great. It's amazing. Yeah. And if I ever need a lift, I go to one of our blood centers and I ask people, why do you donate? And I have heard the most amazing stories. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a niece with leukemia. Um, I, my son's awaiting a kidney transplant. I met a man who donated 103 gallons of blood in his lifetime. What? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, we only have 12 pints of this right, stuff. Right, right. And I said to him, why do you do it? And he said, it's the right thing to do. Huh. It's remarkable. That's yeah. inspiring. Yeah. That's really inspiring. So you've been at the Red Cross now 10 years. And as uh, you said, before you came there, there is immense turnover uh, within the organization, which always creates uh, some havoc and, um, and very difficult for all of the volunteers and all of the uh, people who work at the Red Cross when there's not that stability of leadership. So what inspired you to go to the Red Cross? You had been an incredibly successful business person Thank you. Um, and, um, you know, that had been your career. Um, and then the Red Cross came recruiting uh, for you. You saw all the things going on there. Um, what inspired you to go there? What has kept you there uh, all of these years? It's a difficult job. It's really um, time demanding everything else. Can, can you give our viewers some sense of, of what it is that you love so much about it? So first of all, when I got the phone call to consider the position, it was really the intellectual curiosity and the challenge that drew me. Mm -hmm. um, when I heard there had been eight CEOs in five years, I thought, I really want to try this. And I thought if and I could make it- maybe that's for two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Set a record. And I kept thinking if I could just make it a little bit better every single day, yeah. it's a national treasure and it would be a great capstone to my career. So, and it, it seemed like a big, 
you know, supply chain problem, moving, you know, people and things from here to there. And, you know, I had experience managing budgets. So I thought just maybe I could really make a difference here. But when I arrived at the Red Cross about three weeks into it, um, I went to my first disaster. And it was in Sichuan Valley in China. There was a horrific earthquake there. I remember that. And um, about 300,000 people died. Yeah. And so we went to the area where it was the epicenter of the earthquake. And a seven-year-old child, through an interpreter, told us about what happened that day. And she was one of 15 kids that were outside of her school painting watercolors for art class. And we came to realize that behind her was a pile of rubble, 200 kids were buried alive. Mm. And I will never forget that moment. It, it transformed me. I thought, this isn't material logistics. This isn't managing a budget. This isn't trying to eliminate debt or an operating margin deficit. This is about helping people in their darkest hours. And I came back from that, and it just changed my whole frame and what I thought about being there. Um, just a few weeks later, I, I saw our first domestic disaster. It was back-to-back hurricanes. Mm-hmm. No one knew who I was, so I threw on a Red Cross T-shirt, and I was in Houston, and we were going around a feeding truck. And two and a half hours, I was dishing out chili. And I pride myself. I go to the gym. I think I'm yeah. strong. I was giving out chili with a man who is easily in his late 70s, never stopped smiling. My bicep was trembling. (laughs) And I got out of that feeding truck and I had to go right back home. And I have to tell you, I smelled really bad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was like 105 degrees out. And, you know, the truck isn't air conditioned. Uh And everything was plastered against me, my Red Cross T-shirt. I smelled like chili and I smelled like B.O. and onions, and I thought, I'm going to get thrown off this plane. And I walked down the plane. I was in the last seat. And people were just grabbing my arm and saying, thank you. And that was the moment where I realized why our volunteers do what they do. It was Mm -hmm. a stunning moment in my life. And I'll tell you one other story. The earthquake in Haiti. Yeah. I was diagnosed with breast cancer the day after that earthquake struck, second time. And I was really feeling sorry for myself. And I got to Haiti, and this is a place where one in 10,000 people will ever see a doctor in their lifetime. And I had two premier hospitals in the U.S. giving me second opinions on, Mm -hmm. you know, a tumor that was about the size of the head of a pencil eraser. And I came home and I told Don, my husband, yep. who you know very well, yep. I said, if I complain about this again, I, I want you to call me on it because mm-hmm. we are so fortunate. And that's the other thing that the American Red Cross has taught me. You know, you, you look in the eyes of people who have lost everything and they're still so resilient. You know, yeah. you, you get a little emotional in front of them. You get a little weepy and they're comforting you. Right. They're saying, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's an amazing thing. So yeah. I'm sure you can tell I'm a little bit addicted to it. Um, and it's transformed me. I mean, people say, wow, you transformed the Red Cross. I, I always say no. Um, the Red Cross has transformed they, me. They, yeah. It transformed me. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, it's inspiring. I mean, the human spirit and that ability to keep going on, it's it's so amazing in the face of what people go through. And I have to tell you, you know, I live in D.C., so people always say to me, oh, you live in D.C. Right. You know, it's so divisive. Everybody's arguing. It must be awful. And I, I always say the same thing. Not my country. Yeah. I see the generosity of the American public who step up every time they see a need. I see people who have lost everything that are so resilient. And it's in our country. I don't see it in other places. Yeah. They are determined to build their lives back again. It's inspiring. It is. I mean, that's a great message for these days because you're right. It does seem so divisive. It does seem more difficult than yeah. ever. But those are stories that I think aren't red or blue stories. Those are red, white, and blue stories. So that's beautiful, actually. Yeah, really beautiful. So you have gone from um, running some of, you know, the biggest divisions in corporate America, and you've now run one of the biggest nonprofits uh, um, in the country. What are lessons that you think the for-profit world could learn from the nonprofit world? So I get that question a lot, actually, yeah. and I've thought about it very deeply. Um, you know, when I was at AT&T, you, you know what kind of leader I was. You know, I was yeah. participative. You know, I loved to hear what everybody was thinking. But then there's this point where you say, okay, I've heard all the input. input. Here's what we're going to do. And you say, let's go do it. Let's jump. And everybody says, okay, how high? Right. When you are leading 300,000 volunteers, you say, okay, I heard all the input. Here's what we're going to do. Everybody jump. And they say, no, <laughs> you haven't convinced me. <laughs> you know, uh-uh. And, and you're sitting there thinking, like, well, you know, I can't take away their salary. They don't make any. I can't double their salary, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's taught me how to lead through the power of your ideas more than the power of your office. And um, it also taught me to lead through the lens of the mission. My volunteers don't want to hear, you know, we have an operating deficit. We've got, mm-hmm. you know, we've got to work on the mm-hmm. balance sheet. They want to know how whatever it is we're suggesting is going to help people. And I, I kind of describe it as leading from the heart as well as through your head. It's something you do very naturally, Dan. Mm-hmm. I see you do it a lot. Yeah. But if I could get in a time machine, you know, I think of some of the things I said at AT&T and everybody would get all wound up. I would say, people, calm down. We're not saving lives here. It's, yeah. it's just telephone service. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I go to Fidelity. People, calm down here. You know, we're managing money. You know, it, it, we're not saving lives here. Yeah. Um, I couldn't use that trick at the Red Cross. No, because you I are, couldn't say yeah. it. And it suddenly struck me while I was at the Red Cross that everyone wants to be part of a higher purpose. You yeah. know, your customer championship, it's so, um, it's so inspiring. And if I could get in a time machine, I would say, people, this is really important. We are connecting people to the people that they love. Yeah when I was at AT&T, or yeah, data yeah. that they need, or, you know, Fidelity, we're making financial dreams come true. Um, you know, it, 
at the risk of sounding cheesy, everyone wants to be part of something bigger than themselves. Yep. And that's what I, I learned in, in the nonprofit world. Yeah. I, I would love to add to that, but I could not say anything more than that. I, people flock to a mission. They do. And if you feel it authentically that's the as key. you do, then they believe. And right. if they feel like they can make a difference, that's where they want to be. And I also agree completely that I think the best leaders don't lead by dint of their position, but because of the respect that the organization yes. has um, and the ideas that, that come from that, that person. Um, so I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a great lesson for everybody, even like not just leaders in, in uh in big business, but just as we go through our lives, I think that's 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 a really humbling lesson, great one. So um, I'm going to ask you this question because uh, I ask it on all of the uh, different episodes. But you've had so many times uh, in your life and in your career where you've been, and it, yeah, and just personal health, all of it, where you've been knocked for a loop and um, probably way more than anyone who doesn't know you uh, realizes. How have you managed to get up every time to, um, you know, to come to work every day? You know, it hasn't always been easy at the Red Cross either. either. So, Maybe there are some times you can tell the audience about or just like generalize sort of like that whole thing about um, how you recover from all the difficulties that, that you've faced. So um, I tend to be a card-carrying member of the Happy Club. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in fact, my daughter once said to me, I once said to her, Annie, are you happy? And she said, I'm happy, Mom, but your happiness baseline is just... Too high. Too high. <laughs> <laughs> she said, so I'm, I'm really happy, but just because I don't act like you doesn't mean I'm not happy. So I'm, I'm kind of an optimistic person to begin with. Um, the other thing is, I'm so blessed. I've just had so many wonderful things happen in my life and so many opportunities and, and so many mentors that, um, you know, it's kind of hard for me to feel sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. And at the times when things were, were difficult, um, I just, I can't let myself spiral because it's hard to pull yourself back up. Yeah. And, you know, I, I tend to plan for the worst, but I always think only good things are going to happen. Yeah. And um, kind of having that balance is important. Yeah. Um, it, so... Yeah, I think that's right. Although sometimes I think it's hard when you're in those dark moments to remember that there's uh, there's always some positive things that you can hold on to because you're so focused on that difficult thing that's happening. And somehow you manage to do that. So do you. And yeah. I've seen you do that time and time and time again. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, Gail, um, I really want to thank you for being on the program with me. I've really been looking forward to it. It's so nice, uh, so nice to have you. Well, I have to say one other thing. You say that I mentored you, but you may not even know this, but you are mentoring me. I channel you all the time. 
Oh. I really do. I always think, what would Dan do? And uh, it's, a, it's a good moral beacon for me yeah. because you inspire me. Well, as you can tell, we couldn't be closer. And uh, Gail, thanks so much for being You're here. You're the best. Thanks. You're the best. You're the best. <laughs>